There, that's much better. Is that better? Much better. Oh, okay. Yeah, my tiny little ears. I have ears <laughs> like little Pekingese. You know they. Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet with your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of the Oxygen Starved Podcast, where we hand you your ABC's adventure books and conversation from 11,000 feet. I'm your county librarian, Christopher. And I'm your superintendent, Stacy. Hey, Stace. Hi. And as always, we're joined by our producer, Doug. Hey, Doug. Hello. Hi, Doug. Awesome. It's a beautiful day. It is another gorgeous day in the Eastern Sierra. A lousy day in paradise, right? I know. It's terrible. (laughs) Somebody's got to live here. Might as well be us. Might as well be us. We'll do it for the rest of you. That's right. And of course, the place is rife with adventure. So this adventure we have to talk about is, um, we've revisited a place, Mm -hmm. but got to explore it a little bit more. Late January, we were invited to participate in a community leader visit event at the Marines Mountain Warfare Training Center. That's right. So we ventured back to Bridgeport. <clears throat> up Highway 108, 16 miles north of Bridgeport to yeah. get to the training center. And I have a little brochure that I'll share some information from. The um, The Marine Mountain Warfare Training Center is located at an elevation from 6,800 feet is where all the offices mm-hmm. are and dorms. That's where we went last time. Right. And it goes all the way up to 11,000 feet above sea level. So the Marines get taken all the way up there and they do their training exercises in the wind and rain and snow and ice <laughs> sleet and, and everything sleet else and everything and lack of oxygen yes and they spend a lot of time up there at um elevation to get acclimated right. and learn how to defend our country at in such difficult terrain conditions yeah so it was cool it's, many of you listeners will remember our interview with uh, colonel hutchinson the yes. christmas eve interview mm-hmm. where he kind of gave us the overview of the base and now this time maybe because we did an interview with him he invited us on this event tour and we got to ride snow cats up the mm-hmm. side of the mountain yep and we got up to um grouse meadows i believe yes. is what it's mm-hmm. called and just you know saw lines of white tents right you know and each tent can hold 15 marines with a stove in the middle with, yes and it they're heated and so all their stuff all their gear is um, it's like when it's all on their backs it's like as big as me oh it's, it's insane it's huge um but it was really cool because they also, they gave us a tour and explained what it was all about. Um, they introduced us to numerous um, individuals up yep. there, many of whom had just recently relocated from North Carolina. Yes. Camp Lejeune, they came out from there to um, Bridgeport <laughs> and, you know, you in the middle of winter. Mm-hmm. And this has not been our roughest winter, at least right. not yet. Right. Um, but it's still plenty cold. Yeah. And for all these kids who are coming from Florida and North Carolina and <laughs> southern parts of the country who have never seen this type of weather, or these types of mountains before, they they were very um, struck by the 
toughness of the conditions. I think you're, you're saying it lightly. Yeah. And they had to learn to ski and yes. learn to snowshoe mm-hmm. and learn to do all their training with skis right. and snowshoes. So they showed us a demonstration. Yep. And the demonstration involved four of the riflemen. Yeah. And it, that was so, so cool how they, how they're, how they arrange themselves in, in their lines and how they advance on, you know, an enemy and, it was very cool. One of them had a machine gun. It yeah, it was just crazy. It was eye-opening mm-hmm. and it put a lump in your throat because yeah. these are young individuals who are really giving of themselves for their country. Absolutely. Um, and it really brought home the seriousness of what many uh, men and women are doing around the world right now. Absolutely. So. And they have to go through this training center to be deployed to some of the places where we're fighting or where that we're having to defend our country right now, like, mm. like Afghanistan and mm-hmm. it used to be Iraq, but, mm-hmm. um, at any rate, it, it was, was a great day. It was an amazing day. And, um, I encourage you if they ever have this kind of thing again, mm-hmm. if you are ever invited to participate, say yes, go, it's not yes. very often you get it. I was saying to other friends, it's not very often you get a meeting invite that says, if you have snowshoes, bring them. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and the, you know, the other thing too, is they have a really neat little museum up there they where do. it show takes you through the the evolution of the base, which mm-hmm. was opened in 1951, mm-hmm. and all the different types of gear, how the gear has changed since that time, mm-hmm. and it was really, it's a neat, really neat little museum. And then you can go to the PX and buy all your U.S. Marine Corps spirit wear. There you go. <laughs> So yeah, we genuinely appreciated being invited to go yes. back up there and see Colonel Hutchinson and, and all those guys again, yes. those, those men and women. Um, yeah, so it was an amazing adventure. Semper Fi. Semper Fi. Take a breath. We'll be right back. He sat in that long line of barber chairs And the sergeant asked him, son, would you like to keep your hair He said yes sir as he heard those clippers buzz and hum and the sergeant said well hold out your hand cause here it comes Simplify Do or die So gone hold I believe, finally, that education must be conceived as a continuing reconstruction of experience, that the process and the goal of education are one and the same thing. John Dewey. So begins the book Educated. By Tara Westover. Yes. So many of our listeners will be familiar with this book. It's been out since 2018. And still is on the New York Times bestseller list. A lot of people are reading and discussing this book. And we we identified it early on when we started the podcast. We put it on our short list. Yes. It takes us a few months to get to our short list. But that gave many of our listeners a chance to catch up with reading the book as well. But I know we both get questions about when you're going to talk about yes, educated. Yes, it's, it's, it's almost like the natural 
uh, response when people, for me, when people hear that I'm doing this podcast, oh, are you going to talk about educated? <laughs> it's like they're f- the first thing. Like, well, yeah, we're going to get to it. But. So Tara Westover, just to kind of bring our listeners up mm-hmm. to speed, she's uh, now she's in her mid thirties. She's a PhD, and this is a memoir of her growing up in a very kind of she's from Clifton, Idaho, so a small right. town and even on the outskirts of a small town mm-hmm. even Bucks a, Peak. Bucks Peak. Um very scenic um area, very remote mm-hmm. and her family is uh I believe Mormon affiliated but a survivalist. Right. Sect. Sect. Mm-hmm. Her dad was very much about like you don't trust the government. You don't mm-hmm. trust modern medicine. You know, education is controlled by the Illuminati and the government is as well. And, you know, you got to hoard your fuel right. out in the field and don't yep. trust paper cash, get gold and silver, you know, all that kind of. Right. He believed in the days of abomination were coming and the world was going to come to an end. Right. Right. So, and when that didn't happen on 9 11, he thought certainly, or I'm sorry, when that didn't happen in 1999, the millennium, mm-hmm. he thought it was going to 9-11, that was it. Yeah. So um, it's a unique upbringing. She, you know, she was one of seven children. Mm-hmm. Her mother is a midwife and a medicinal herbal mm-hmm. healer yep. for the local area. And her father, we should say, um, made his living in, he owned a scrapyard right. and built hay sheds and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It was very much a difficult life growing up. It wasn't easy. Right. And they were loosely homeschooled. So kind of... They were taught to read mm-hmm. and they were read the Bible. Mm-hmm. So in interviews with, with her, I've heard her say, well, we were all really good readers because the Bible's not an easy text to read. Correct. Um, but that was a, the extent of their education pretty much. Right. And their parents actively tried to control how much they were exposed. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and, and the way they talked about, you know, people in the town, even relatives who yeah. lived in town, you know, you got to be careful. You know, they don't believe things the way that we believe them, things like that. Yeah. And it was hard. You know, mm-hmm. he, he, her father put her and her siblings to work in the scrapyard as a kid. And you know? it was a very dangerous existence. We were saying that it was reckless parenting times a hundred yeah. because, you know, he would just go out there. He wouldn't let her wear a safety helmet or gloves right. and they're dealing with aluminum and steel mm-hmm. and rust and, rust and jagged yeah. things. And you're, you're, you have to separate them. And so, he, you know, he would just go through piles and throw things mm-hmm. in different piles. Yep. And sometimes he would hit a kid yep. who happened to be in the way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wasn't like, oh, are you okay? It was, well, you know, if you got hit, God willed that to happen. So it was just an interesting kind of perspective to grow up yeah, in. Absolutely. And no, and like you said, no outside influences to challenge what the parents were bringing to or or putting upon right. these children. Right. So and there were she describes so that's kind of the tenor of her and her siblings upbringing. Mm-hmm. It's difficult, it's challenging, it's dangerous. There's injuries. Their mother uh is a healer and a midwife. There's a lot that talks about what she does, but you know, they don't when they get injured, they don't necessarily go to a hospital. Right. Exactly. You know? She it, she was divine by God to heal these 
injuries when when they happened, even though she had no training to speak of. Yeah, not what we would call modern medicine medical training, right? And, um, you know, you kind of read a bunch of this and you think, how did these kids make it (laughs) to adulthood? And they all do. You know, for the first part of the book, which details her her Mm -hmm. growing up years, Mm -hmm. I kept thinking throughout the whole thing, why don't you leave? Right. Why why doesn't somebody call CPS or nine one one or yeah. you know, um and the way that she kind of frames her understanding of of all of, of this is just her love for her family. Yeah. It's normal. And yeah, she doesn't realize until she starts going to like her dance classes and mm-hmm. her theater classes, which her dad did let her go to. Right. Until the costumes became too, uh, um, not revealing, e- but you revealing. Know, yeah. Yes, and not appropriate right. in his eyes. Right. Um, then she couldn't participate anymore. But you know, she keeps saying, you know, she, how much she loves her family, and the fact that she had an abusive older brother. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she makes excuses for him time and time again that his behavior was just fun and games, like he said, Yeah, that she wasn't really being hurt. And, you know, her older brother had been injured as well. You know, right. like they all had their share of getting injured. Yeah. And so some of it can possibly be explained by that. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You know, it's clear, you know, she's the youngest sibling and she's being kind of trained in being a victim, you know, and that, you know, you internalize, blame the victim mentality, you internalize responsibility for things that are happening to you that really others should be more responsible for. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So that's really kind of, we're kind of glossing over the first part of the book. There's a lot in there, but, um, you know, you can start talking about it and almost never stop. What? I liked about the book was kind of the second part of the book. Mm -hmm. So when she gets older, she has two older brothers who have crossed enemy lines, according to her dad. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. They've taken, um, they've they've gotten an education. They've taken the GED and they have moved on and they've gone to higher education, Education, which remember is controlled by the Illuminati. Um, (laughs) and so, you know, she gets a taste for that too. When she reaches that age, And, you know, through her own grit and perseverance, she actually makes it into BYU, Brigham Young University. Right. And shows up there. I think she was 17. 17 was her first time she had ever been in a classroom. Isn't that amazing? Yes. And, um, you know, she begins to realize a couple of things that stood out to me. Mm -hmm. One is that, you know, there's a big difference between how she was brought up and taught to believe about different historical personalities or Martin Luther King or, you know, what have you and what everyone else was taught. Right. You know, she had never heard of the Holocaust. Yep. She didn't know what that meant. Um, you know, she hadn't heard of civil rights, you know, there are all these things that, you know, she's like, there's a bigger, broader context to the world than what I was exposed to. Exactly. And it was interesting when she, when she talked about the Holocaust and like not ever raising her hand and saying, well, what is, I've never even heard that word. What is the Holocaust? The reaction of the, the other kids in the class wasn't like shock that she had never heard of it, but they looked at her like she was denying that it had ever happened. Right. And that was the attitude they they brought to it when she just, in all truth, had never 
heard of it before. So it just kind of shows that point of how isolated and limited um, the information she had received from her parents was. And alongside this, and she describes this really well, and what I really appreciated was um, she was exposed to different writers, you know, to different uh, philosophies, to history, to this whole world of knowledge that was opening up in front of her. And, um, you know, she talks about craving that she was, she looked at books on a shelf and thought this, there's an infinity of knowledge here Mm -hmm. and I want a taste of it, I think is a a quote that she actually says because she realizes there's a whole world out there for her to explore, um, after having grown up in this, you know, area in Idaho. And it's, you know, it's really quite amazing too. I think the, the way that her, a few of her professors saw that need in her Mm -hmm. to, to learn more and to, you know, have that quest for knowledge Mm -hmm. and really encouraged her to seek it out. Yeah. And they really helped support her when I could see if those individuals weren't around, maybe she wouldn't have made it through the BYU, that even the the pressure from her more modern knowledgeable peers would have eventually gotten to her because her psyche was pretty, she didn't have a great self image of herself. No. And she felt very protective of herself Mm -hmm. and protective of her upbringing. Yes. And she tried to hide a lot of that as Mm -hmm. she realized how different she was from her roommates, from Mm -hmm. her fellow classmates, from boys she was going out with. Um, you know, she tried to hide things, you know, and, and didn't want them to see, you know, so one thing that I remember from the book early on, she's going, when she's a little girl, she goes to visit her grandmother's Mm -hmm. house in town. She's called grandmother in town, grandmother in town, hyphenated. Um, and her grandmother says, you know, when you go use the bathroom, make sure you wash your hands when you come out. And she's like, well, I don't do that. We don't do that at home, you know? And her father actually, I think kind of take, took pride in that. Like, you know, I don't train my kids to wash soap because they should be careful when they right. use the bathroom, right? Yeah. Um, and she describes that early on in the book. And then later in the book, she's at BYU mm-hmm. and she's with her roommates and, and talking about, you know, housing situation. And one of them actually says explicitly, everyone should please wash their hands when they leave the bathroom, mm-hmm. which is kind of a reference to, they all kind of know that she's from a different place, right. you know? Yes. And how difficult that must've been for her as a young person mm-hmm. um, to kind of know that they know a little bit about her and let let that be exposed. Yeah. And that she, you know, to, she has to kind of get herself right with what she experienced and how, how does she justify that, you know, for herself, what she went through. And one instance of that, that I thought was really telling is she describes having a headache. She's mm-hmm. out with her boyfriend, I believe is her boyfriend. And they go back, you know, to their rooms or whatever. And, and he gives her some payment like aspirin right. or Tylenol or something like that. And said, here, take these. And she's like, no, it'll go away. I've taken this substance that her mother would always right. give her. And I forget what that is. I don't, didn't write that down, but, um, she, so he kind of like peer pressures her mm-hmm. into taking 
the pain right. med- pain medication. She and pops then the it, pills. And then it works. And then it works. And she realizes that her mother's medicine never really worked. worked. Right. What it trained her to do was appreciate and endure pain. Right. Exactly. And that is a theme that comes out across mm-hmm. the book, both physically and mentally. Yeah. You just see this individual, again, with such grit, persevering and enduring pain. Right. And and that's what she can, that's what she's used to. She's right. used to living in pain, either physical or emotional. Right. And you know, she eventually, she gets a scholarship to go to Cambridge as an undergrad through the help of a professor. Who sees the potential. Exactly. So she goes to Cambridge in England and, you know, of course she's a fish out of water there as well. And she turns in her first essay to her professor and she does a great job. And this Cambridge professor is give, who's known for being a difficult Mm -hmm. guy starts praising her. This is the best essay I've ever written. Mm -hmm. And she's sitting in his office hearing this praise and she is feeling like she can't wait to get out of his office. She She, can't take it. She can't handle it. She can't handle praise. She can't. And she says that she could, I could tolerate any form of cruelty better than kindness. Praise was a poison to me. I choked on it. Right. Which is such the mentality of an abused person. Absolutely. You get so used to accepting that, that abuse or whether it's verbal or physical or whatever you feel you, that's what you deserve. And she was still go dealing with emotional trauma mm-hmm. of her upbringing. You know, she describes being in college and in this right. at, at the UK and waking up screaming in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. or sometimes waking up in the middle of the street in the middle of the night. So sleepwalking and right. waking, you know, having panic attacks and what have you. And again, doing her level best to avoid therapy or any any help right. from anyone. Right. And what is remarkable about the professor you mentioned is many professors would have been like, okay, that's it. You know. Nice praise. Bye-bye. Yeah. He saw something in her again. Yeah. So clearly she has a quality that people recognize talent mm-hmm. and drive. Right. And a desire to learn. And um, he calls her his Pygmalion. Pygmalion. You know, right. my fair lady, mm-hmm. here's yeah. an unpolished gem mm-hmm. and I'm going to help this person gain polish. And he sees some strength in her and the the passage that really resonated with me when she, they first get to Cambridge, England, it's a big, beautiful, Mm -hmm. historic, Gothic campus with historic, you know, churches Churches. and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And so they get a tour of the chapel, which is gorgeous. I encourage people to look it up online if you've never seen it. And they'd go up to the roof, Mm -hmm. the whole class does. And, you know, to a person Everyone but her, when they get up to the roof, it's kind of windy. They kind of crouch down, they grab the rail, they right. grab the edge, which is a little bit They're not very adventurous. They're not very adventurous. Which I think is kind of a natural. Sure. I'm thinking I would do the same right. thing. She was the only one who didn't. She's the only right. one who she actually goes all the way up. <laughs> climbs up to the peak of the roof right. and stands straight up there. Yeah. And she's looking around on a windy day with her hands in her pockets. Hands in her pockets. Yeah. And you know what? Her professor pulls her aside and says, you know, you're the only one who had that reaction. Right. Every All these people who've had all the benefits of their upbringing and are super smart and everything yeah. got up here and they were fearful mm-hmm. and protective of themselves. You had the opposite. You haven't had what they did, yeah. but you climbed right to the top of that roof and you didn't 
worry about falling over. And she's like, well, you know, I grew up helping my dad build hay sheds. Right. You know, the wind up here is no different than the wind on the ground. You you know, it doesn't knock you over when you're on the ground. It's not going to knock you over when you're up here. Right. So that I think was emblematic of a quality that she brought to a situation that other people must have seen repeatedly because she is repeatedly helped by other educators. Yes. Through her education. Yeah. And, and supported and, um, told how great she is. You know, she's given that positive feedback for the first time in her life. And it's not something that she absorbs. I mean, she really resists it, you know, year right. after year after year. And, you know, when she goes to Cambridge the first time, she's just newly kind of left her family. She hasn't, right. and she's still going back and her vacations and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So she's still being subjected to this mm-hmm this abuse and um, she finally gets to Harvard. Right. And she's there for a fellowship or something. And her parents come to visit her and her dad tries to reconvert her. We should preface this that we'll just tell you a little bit what happens in the book. One of her brothers has an accident, um, is brain 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 damaged damaged. out Mm -hmm. of it becomes very, very abusive and not at all self-aware and abuses her horrifically. And she writes about this with extreme candor. And threatens to kill her. He threatens to kill her. Yes. Um, And she, as she describes these episodes, Mm -hmm. she even describes being thrown around and what's going through her mind and how she should react to it when she's just alone with him, how she reacts to Mm -hmm. it when there's other people around to see it happening, how she should try and play it off, you know, and this is something she has done for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's taken this education of being out in the broader world to understand she doesn't have to Put up with it. Right. Exactly. It's wrong. Right. It's wrong. Even though her parents have kind of been in denial, the family's been in denial. Right. Off and on. Um, You know, she's been through some really, really tough, tough stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, now she's at a point in her life. Right. She's in Harvard. Yep. And she has, she has explained to her parents. She has told them about all of this abuse. Right. At the hands of her brother. And they have denied it. They have said, nope, that never happened. You're lying. Blame the victim. And so now they've come to Harvard to see her and her dad tries to bring her back into the faith, kind of reel her back in Mm -hmm. and says, all you need to do is say that what you told us about your brother, about what he did was a lie and you'll be forgiven, you'll be saved and we'll, we'll love you again. Right. And she didn't do that. She refused. Yeah. She had and gotten to a point where she could refuse. Yeah. And I think through through the becoming educated, mm-hmm. right, through the support of the professors that she had encountered and through the support of her two brothers who had gone their own way and become educated as well, they helped her get to that. And she got into therapy. And she got into yes. therapy, which So helped. all those things kind of helped her realize she didn't need to own that right. abuse, that that wasn't, it wasn't deserved. She was a victim and she could, it was okay to accept that and move on and, yeah. 
and have to walk away from her parents. Which was tough because she genuinely loves her family. Yes. She describes a poignant moment when she's going overseas for the first time. Mm-hmm. Her mother and father take her to the airport and her dad goes as far as he can with her yeah. um, to see her off because he realizes, you know, if she's on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean and the apocalypse happens, he can't get in the car right. and go rescue her, right? Yes. It's, so she understands that underneath there, mm-hmm. there's some real parental attachment and love, yep. even with all all the really amazing problems. Yeah. It was really, it, she's quite a strong person. It is. And you know, one thing that, um, it kind of really sticks out to you is she's getting this, you know, not only is she getting an education, education, (laughs) right. A schooling, she's going for degrees in very challenging educational environments where your peers are at the top of their game and she realizes she has to step up to it. Um, she's also getting a cultural education Mm -hmm. as an adult, frankly, you know, if you think about most of us got our education as school kids, Mm -hmm. we learned how to deal with other people and you grow up and you get older together. And so when you go out into the big bad world, you kind of have an idea of where you fit and where you can go and what have you. She didn't really have that until she turned 17. Right. And then spent those few years really catching up. Yeah. She, she had like her whole growing up experience in a space of like six years. Yeah. Right. Because her whole transformation or her whole, that whole growth period, the cultural piece of it. Right. um, Didn't begin until she was 17 and you know, when most people have had all of that socialization, she right. was just starting to to get it. Which again, you know, I think must have been so daunting for some people, but mm-hmm. she clearly had this perseverance. Right. She was driven and she was going to make it work. And she gets her PhD. Yep, she does. And, and she eventually marries and... Has the, writes this book. <laughs> right. All within the space of, I think, like 10 years yeah. from 17 mm-hmm. to her PhD is a decade. Right. Yeah. It just shy. I think just shy. I think she got her PhD in 2014. So it so, was very, yeah. very quick. But um, it's pretty amazing what, what she did. And um, there's a great interview that Oprah Winfrey did with, with mm-hmm. her. We'll put a link to that in, mm-hmm. in our show notes. But, you know, she... She talks about her love for her family right. and that how we all as humans have this ability to cast things from our past in certain, in certain lights mm-hmm. and remember things in a certain way mm-hmm. that even the others in our family might see it differently. Yeah. And she talks about being in a situation, I think it was a fire that happened and one of her brothers was burned and in one person's version, she was there and yeah. in another person's version, she and her dad were there yeah. and in another person's version, another brother was there and then in another person's version, none of them were there. So, you know, how we remember events as individuals could be completely different for our families right. remembering. And I think that's why it, one of the reasons why she might finally have gotten to the point where she's like, you know what, this is my truth. This mm-hmm. is my memory. And it wasn't good. 
So right. I don't want to be a part of it anymore. And one of the things you described there is because there, when you read the book, you understand there are so many accidents and yes. bad things that happen to the individuals in this family. Um, like her mother has a car accident yes. and nearly dies yep. and just wills herself back to some degree mm-hmm. of health. Right. Her father is horribly burned yeah, al- in an accident. Almost like dis- completely disfigured. Right. And refuses to go to the hospital. Right. So her mother, um, the man is burned. He can't swallow. Right. You know, there's all sorts of things. His, his, his hands, hands are be- maimed. maimed and, mm-hmm. um, but he lives. He, right. per- they're all, they all persevere. I know. Um, it's, inc- it's incredible. With their own way. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not a unique, it's not, it's a, it's a very unique situation. It's not your typical family. Of the seven children, three of them go on to get PhDs. Right. Yep. Four of them, one of them goes out to start his business, but ends up coming back. Right. They all stay with the family. Yep. Work in the scrapyard or work in town. Yeah, all impl- employed by the parents. Yeah. Yeah. Who by this time are kind of raking in through medicinal herbs and stuff. Right. They're raking in quite a bit of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're no longer... <laughs> you know, poor, right. um, but it's still fascinating. Right. And, and there is a, there is a question of the four that stay with the family because that is where they get their employment and their mm-hmm. livelihood from. Is there that sense of beholdenness yeah. to, to the parents? So maybe if they didn't have that, they would see the abuse going on and they would leave too. Right. There's kind of that question yeah. put out there, but cause it's almost a willful blindness, right? She confronts her siblings yes. with the situation right. and makes and, it so that they can't deny it. Right. But yet they figure out a way to do it. Exactly. Yeah. And they continued. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know, it's like, it's going back to that quote that I read when mm-hmm. we started this segment that, you know, when Dewey talks about education as a continuing reconstruction, right? You know, that's exactly what she did in her life. You know, she continued on, she persevered on, and continuing her education was able to kind of reconstruct her own life entirely. Yeah. And you described her dissertation. Is, yeah. Um, something I you want to read, read it. it. Her <laughs> dissertation was the four important movements of the nineteenth century. And it examined how those four movements had struggled with the question of family obligation. Right. Which is like the th- one of the central was, themes of this absolutely. book, of this memoir. Yep. And I will tell listeners, uh, many of you, again, will have read it by now. Others are thinking about reading it. It's almost like a character-driven novel. Every character is vividly drawn and yep. Very unique compared to others. And you, there were times I was reading it thinking, this can't be true. This yeah. is like a stereotype. This is like a B movie. But it's true. Right. You know? Yeah. When you, when you remind yourself of that, you just, it makes you wonder how did she endure through all of that, that she went through and has come out the other side in a really successful and empowering way. I right. mean, if if anybody reads this who has been through abuse, whether it's emotional mm-hmm. or verbi- verbal or physical, whatever that is, this story will help you to maybe figure out a way to get through that. You yeah. know, if she can do it, I can do it. And... um 
you know, she's just, I can't, I don't know if she's, what she's going to do next. <laughs> I, can't, I kind of can't wait to see it. Well, she's on a continuum, right? We talked about mm-hmm. that. So we're really curious to see where she goes. And this must have been therapeutic for her yeah. to put this pen to paper and, and get this story out right. and make it public, which is a very brave thing to do yeah. because she really exposes some things about herself that, you know, other people would be very hesitant to say out loud, right? you know? And so that's really, again, she's, she's very strong and very driven and I'm sure she still, she's, she still loves her family, right? She's only in contact with a few of them. Right. And Uh, the, and they're more aunts and uncles and cousins. She is not in contact with the other four siblings or her parents, just the the two brothers. Right. So the dynamic isn't completely over for her, but she's shown she can get to a place, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Which is really compelling. And I think that's what's, you know, you and I talked, these are the things that are why this book is resonating with so, so many, many people. people. Yeah. Um, I don't know anybody who's gone through quite this level of thing, but we've all been through situations, right? right? Yeah. Um, that just make you think, oh my gosh. So listeners, if you haven't read Educated by Tara, Tara Westover, pick it up. Check yeah. it out. Get it from the library. You can get it from Bookie Join or Spellbinder or wherever your local bookstore is. You'll it's love a, it. It's a great read. Welcome back, listeners. We're at the conversation part of our podcast yay. in your ABCs. Yay! Where we get to bring in a local person who's contributing uniquely to the Mono County and the Eastern Sierra. Yes, and our guest today contributes an awful lot. Totally, and has a great backstory. So yes. we are joined today by Kristen Reese. Welcome, Hello. Kristen. Thank Welcome. you. Thank you so much for having me. We're so happy that you're here. To- Thank you. <laughs> totally. Kristen is the executive director of the Mono Arts Council. So we now we know what you are in today, but there is a path that got you there, right? Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, Kristen, and how you ended up where you're doing? How much time do we have? As long <laughs> as you want. Uh, well, it's um, it's a it's a long road actually, but I'll try to keep it as short mm-hmm. as possible. I grew up here in the Eastern Sierra. Um, you're native. A native. I am a native. I my parents moved here when I was a year old, and I went through um, school the school system. I went to kindergarten at Mammoth Elementary School. I remember walking over from the blue roofs, as we call <laughs> yes. them. We still do call them that. Yeah, <laughs> because listeners, they actually are homes with blue roofs. Yeah. that's funny. Uh, walking through to go to kindergarten class when you did that sort of thing in the 70s. Um, So I went to Mammoth High School and I, uh, throughout my entire upbringing, I was very much into the arts. I started taking dance lessons uh, when I was really young, pretty much able to walk and then um, started taking piano lessons when I was 10, got really interested in theater and music and everything. And so... I decided to go to college and major in music and minor in theater. I dropped that, Um, (laughs) you know, majoring in music was keeping me plenty busy. Yeah, that's plenty busy, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I majored in music and would come home every summer. And uh, the last couple of years I was here, 
um, during the summer, I was involved with the musicals mm-hmm. put on by High Sierra Musical Theater, a company that doesn't exist anymore. But oh. I was in Anything Goes. Um, cool. And I was Molly Brown in The Unsinkable Molly Brown. Oh, that's wow. awesome. <laughs> you were a star. I, yeah. <laughs> Can you sing something for us from Molly Brown? No. Okay. <laughs> That was over 20 years ago. <laughs> um, but just seeing your face and Debbie Reynolds face <laughs> side by side. That's all right. So I, while I was here, I, um, I don't know, I kind of got reacquainted with the community and who was here involved with the arts. And mm-hmm. so I um, started off by teaching piano and voice lessons, had my own little kind of music um, studio or, you know, sort of thing. And then I, um, unfortunately I couldn't do that as a, you know, main course of living. Mm -hmm. So I had to get a bunch of different jobs and, Mm -hmm. um, was still actively involved with the theater company. And so, um, a couple years later, I co-founded Sierra Classic Theater with a couple of my friends, um, current Mammoth Elementary School teacher, Kim Stoiber. And mm-hmm. um, Leslie Bruns, who is a mm-hmm. community member involved in lots of different things here. Right. And um, so we, yeah, we co-founded Sierra Classic Theater um, with the idea of bringing um, high-quality classic plays to the Eastern Sierra. And um, how so did that come about? The three of you just went out some night and said, "Like, you know what? We can do this." Or? Well, uh, so High Sierra Musical Theater had ended at that point, okay. and so there was a void in Mammoth mm-hmm. for theater at that point. Mm-hmm. And we um, we just felt like we needed to fill that void. There was still a lot of people interested in doing theater in the community, right. and so we um, we just wanted to you know, have an opportunity. So we, we started that and I was involved as a board member and president and director and all sorts of different things Wonderful for many years. So I got my kind of experience mm-hmm. in nonprofits, starting mm-hmm. a nonprofit, being on a board of a nonprofit right. and being involved with the arts in the community. Um, and then I took a step back when I moved from Mammoth, I moved out to the lovely little community of Mono City. Yay! Which is out near Mono Lake, right? Yes, it's gorgeous. (laughs) And so we, um, so just the commute and everything, I just decided that it was time to step back. And so we, um, anyway, so the Sierra Classic Theater continued on and I continued on with my various jobs and working, uh, got another job in a nonprofit um, organization called Eastern Sierra Interpretive Association. Mm-hmm. Yay. And I just realized how much I loved nonprofit work. Mm-hmm. And um, about five years into that, I realized that I loved nonprofit work, but I might be in the wrong field. Mm-hmm. I just had a passion for the arts. I was at actually a conference for um, interpretation, becoming a certified interpreter for the, like, you know, the natural land and all that. And I did my presentation on the piano. (laughs) (laughs) How did you tie that in? (laughs) Well, it was, you had to interpret something. It didn't have to necessarily be a wildlife wildlife thing or whatever. So I did mine on the piano and I, you know, I met all the requirements, so I I'm a certified interpreter. Oh, I love that. But I that was the big light bulb for me yeah. that, you know, maybe I continue in nonprofit work, but I need to focus my energies in something that's arts related. And yeah. right at that time, um, Mona Arts Council was going through a big reorganization and they were looking for somebody. And um, 
so they, so I happened to run into the previous executive director and she said that they were looking to hire an assistant and it was just meant to be. Perfect. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All the stars aligned. They did. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the Arts Council and what are some of the big projects and, you know, I love hearing about it. Arts are really important to sure. me. So, yeah. Um, so we uh, do what we can for the community. Our two sort of main pillars are arts education and supporting our community artists. And we do that in a variety of ways with arts education. Um, and this is how I got to know Stacy. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a program called Mac Master Artists or Meet the Masters, where we send teaching artists into every single classroom in um, Mono County K through eight. And all the students get to learn about a master artist um, with an art history lesson. And then they get to do a project based on that master artist. And it's just a wonderful program. The art coming out of this program is just so beautiful. And the students have such a great time with it. And we get a lot of great feedback from both the students and the teachers. Oh, terrific. Yeah, it's a really exciting program and it's wonderful it's a wonderful way to expose our kids to classical artists and even right. some modern artists right. um, that they otherwise wouldn't have exposure to. We don't have museums, art museums close by that they can right. go visit. So it's really a great partnership, a great program. Yeah, it is. Um, this year, for example, we have, uh, we've been exploring, uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat, mm. uh, Jeff Coons, um, Cindy Sherman, and then, uh, coming up, we're going to be teaching about Keith Haring and the artist, I cannot pronounce the first name. So it's the artist Crosby is their last mm-hmm. name, I think. Um, so it's a lot of really exciting, artists that they get to learn about great artists that are very different all somewhat current Mm -hmm. and um very provocative Mm -hmm. provocative in their own way right yeah Yeah. that's awesome yeah so that's been that's sort of you know our main um in school arts education program we have going on right now um we also have after school programs that we put on in either a after school program that is going on at the school or if the school doesn't have an after school program we go to the library like we do in Bridgeport (laughs) which we love by the way yeah and so that's been really really great um getting to reach kids in the North County communities um and giving them additional opportunities to explore art um, and that's not really based on an artist. It's just more of an art lesson. Sure. And we have a new program as part of that, um, a digital arts program where they're learning how to do stop motion animation. Yay. So I love much that. fun. It's a lot of fun. So cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you really cover the entire county, which for our listeners, just to remind you is, you know, well over a hundred miles from one end to the other, mm-hmm. Colville to Benton, yes. right? And all communities in between. Yes. Yeah. And that's, you know, I mean, we are Mono Arts Council, not Mono County Arts Council, but, you know, we want to make sure that we're getting everybody and, um, you know, especially, you know, the kids outside of Mammoth have even less opportunities than Mm -hmm. the kids in Mammoth and Mammoth kids don't even have that many opportunities to begin with. So it's really important for us to provide access to the arts to as many people as possible. And it's not only visual arts. Do you want to talk a little bit about the Jam Fest? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So um, the other thing that we're working on is um, 
we have an event called the June Lake Jam Fest that happens every September. Uh, this year is our sixth Jam Fest. Awesome. And it's going to be the 11th through 13th of September this year. And that is a uh, mission of love by one of our (laughs) fabulous board members, Janet Hunt. Um, She created this event to raise money for music education. Right Right now in the Eastern Sierra Unified School District, there are no music classes. And so we want to fill that void. And so we have this event and we've been raising money um, for the last several years now. Um, It's finally getting to the point where we actually generate a little bit of income, which is awesome. (laughs) Um, And so we are developing a program right now that we can kind of... Uh, model the master me the master's master artist program and take into all the schools in Eastern Sierra Unified School District, and then of course we also um, raise money and help out the music program in Mammoth where right. we can. Yeah. So um, yeah, so we're developing the program right now. We had a pilot version of it last spring and learned a lot and learned what worked and what didn't work. And so we kind of took everything back to the drawing board and now we're in the process of developing the program and getting it ready for next fall. Yeah. I so think that's really exciting. You know, you were a music student yes. and I was a music student for a while and we, we all appreciate the, the knowledge that um, music helps you yeah. apply to other things as you're learning, right? How mm-hmm. to think constructively, how to, how to think creatively, um, and what comes of that, even if you don't go on and become a musician, you still benefit from how it, how it just makes you approach things. Right? Well, Absolutely. And, and the arts, I know Kristen feels strongly about this as I do that, you know, the arts are a real, are a way to engage kids in education, in their education right. that, who might not otherwise be engaged. And right. that's why it's a a calling, a passion, a mandate, you know, that I feel we have to bring, do everything that we can to bring arts to our students. Totally. Right. Yeah. And that was something um, I shared recently. We had a, a launch of a mm-hmm. arts advocacy um, group that we've started called Arts Now Mono County. And I shared a little bit about that for me personally, that, you know, growing up here, in this rural isolated area that even though I did play sports, I, you know, played soccer and other things that I was a bullied kid and I didn't have a lot of friends. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't until I got involved in theater and music in high school that I really found my tribe and found people that I connected to. And those experiences are what kept me in school, to be honest. Yeah, totally. And, you know, we want to make sure that we have that, availability for any of our kids who aren't having, who are having a hard time staying in school and, and finding that connection. Yeah. I I strongly agree with that. And we want to, Oh, no, go ahead. uh, We want to support our teaching artists and our teachers in our community too. So we've got a big event coming up in partnership with the arts council. Yes, in June, uh, that would be June 17th and 18th, we have a brand new event called the Create Eastern Sierra Summer Arts Institute. It's a mouthful. <laughs> or SASI, if you want to, you know. We're, edu- Every- we're educators. We have to acronym it. I was going to say, yeah. everything's an acronym. <laughs> yeah. And um, this stems from a wonderful um, uh, process we went through a couple of years ago that was spearheaded by Stacy. Uh, 
which is the creation of an arts plan for Mono County. And we looked at, you know, what we offered and what we didn't have. And one of the things that we identified is that um, we need to really work on getting more arts in our schools. And the best way to do that is through integration. Um, being in such a rural area where it's hard to get art teachers to right. these different places, it's a lot easier to train teachers to provide those arts. So um, that's where this came from. And it's a two-day workshop where teachers in Mono County and Inyo County and even outside of the area get to come and learn how to integrate arts into their daily classroom activities. Yeah, which is really exciting. That's totally yes. exciting. Listeners, if you're interested, go to the Sasai website, yeah. C-E-S-S-A-I dot org. Yes. And Check we're looking out. for presenters as well as people that want to take the, go to the workshop. That's awesome. And it happens in the beautiful Eastern Sierra yes. in June. Yeah. You get to come to Mammoth and hang out and <laughs> learn and... Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but not everything you do is for kids, Right. Right. So we also have a program called Art and Wine, <laughs> which I think it's pretty obvious yeah. what happens there. <laughs> um, it's a really, uh, it's a, just a fun, fun night. Um, and sometimes there are two nights in a row. Uh, we do these uh, twice a month where you get to come in and make art and drink wine. And we, we try to go a little bit outside the norm mm-hmm. of just uh, doing an acrylic painting, although we do have that as our second class per month. Um, we, you know, we have jewelry making or last, uh, last month we did a paint pouring class. Wow. Wait, um, paint pouring? Paint pouring. Yes, I know. Like on, not on your body. No. <laughs> like <laughs> that pouring. could be another thing. Though. <laughs> no. Just giving her ideas. Um, now you, you basically mix acrylic paint with a medium called Floetrol that makes the paint flow a little bit easier and then you pour it all in a cup you kind of layer it and then you let it flow out onto a canvas kind of manipulating the paint as it comes out of the cup so like jackson pollocky kind of stuff sort of more like if you, it's like marble wow when oh, it comes out cool. it's really beautiful um so we that that was a class we held in Neat. in january with a visiting artist that's and awesome yeah so we have those classes um about twice a month we have uh coming up march 4th and 5th a mosaic class with one of our board members actually a board chair Kristen shipke okay. awesome. the locals favorite sells out Nice. Um, and that one's really fun. And then uh, Miguel Flores, who is a local artist, very, very talented. And a former student. Yes. He also is a Sorry, I have to <laughs> alumni. Plug that. <laughs> um, he is teaching our acrylic series. So he's got a beautiful cherry blossom painting that he'll be teaching March 28th. And then uh, Pet Portraits by another oh. MHS alumni, Laurel Stanford Manning. Oh, awesome. Yes. <laughs> That'll be yeah April 7th. And then April 25th is another Miguel class um, nice. with a nice ocean sunrise or moonrise. And, and wine is provided? or you have Wine to... is provided. Awesome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you don't really have to have any abilities no. to join these classes, That's right? the best part about it is that you don't have to be an artist. Right. Uh, each teacher is very skilled at walking you through step-by-step step and how to make something. So you walk away feeling like you just, you're an artist now and you've been creative and it's such, it's so fulfilling. I'm, I mean, I'm being encouraged 
with my art skills because of these classes. Right. <laughs> I don't, you know, I've, I dabbled in art in high school and when I was a kid, but that was not my medium for sure. It was really? always performing arts. Yeah. Well, those classes sound great and might be in a, a future adventure exactly. for us. Exactly. Because yes. Lord knows I have no talent. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Kristen, we've uh, made you talk about your job a lot, <laughs> which is your passion. So that's a good thing. It is. <laughs> uh, what other stuff do you like take part of in, in the Eastern Sierra? Or what else do you kind of like love about the Eastern Sierra? Everything. Mm. <laughs> um, my husband and I actually love to adventure around the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we love to backpack. We've backpacked all over Inyo and Mono County mm-hmm. um, in the Eastern Sierra. In fact, we did a 28-day backpacking trip in 2007. Oh, how wow. cool. Where's 2005. Did you cover part of the Pacific Crest Trail, or where did you guys we go? We did our own version of the JMT. Okay. Oh, wow. We didn't All do right. the actual JMT. We were on it for parts of it, but we started at Tenaya Lake out okay. of Yosemite uh-huh. and then hiked out at South Lake and Bishop. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. How cool. It was so amazing, and it's really funny because when I first met my my husband, he had been talking about this trail called the PCT. Mm-hmm. And even though I grew up here, I'd never heard of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that it was his dream to hike this trail someday. And then he told me what it was. And I said, are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> and then we did this backpacking trip for 28 days together. And I said, you know, I think someday I would like to try that. <laughs> I think I could do it because you, you know, once you're out there, right. you yeah. just get into a groove mm-hmm. and you, you know, um, I don't know, you wake up, you have your food and then you get on the trail and there it's, it's such a simple, amazing life. Right. Um, so yeah, we do a lot of backpacking. We kayak as much as we can. I got a paddleboard recently and I love being in the water. Oh, so wonderful. Um, do you go out on Mono Lake or do you have other lakes you go to? I go out on Mono Lake a little bit, but yeah. you know, it's so salty that, mm-hmm. you know, you have to wash everything off, including yeah. yourself when you get out. So right. I tend to go to Grant Lake or Lundy Lake or Silver Lake. We like Silver Lake. Which is beautiful. Yeah. That's yeah. in the June Lake Loop. Yeah. 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 There's so, a, so is Grant. Yeah. 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 So we, um, we do a lot of kayaking and, um, we just love being outdoors here. And then during the wintertime, we do a lot of cross-country skiing and backcountry skiing. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. You take advantage of it all. Nice. Yeah, I do. Nice, a really nice balance. Yeah. It's important, going. Right? Yeah. It oh, is. We all need to explore all different types of passions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, and I mean, honestly, my very favorite thing is just going for a walk around my neighborhood. We have this beautiful little neighborhood and, you know, at sunset, you can walk around and take a look at Mono Lake with this beautiful pink sky. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah you know, it's I, pretty. I follow a lot of Eastern Sierra Instagram accounts mm-hmm. and there are so many people taking photos of Mono Lake at sunset yeah. or sunrise. Mm-hmm. All I think is that there must be 20 people walking down you know, the road <laughs> with cameras and iPhones in their hands, but it is so stunning. It is. I think you have you have a setting for the most beautiful sunrises and sunsets in this area. I mean, and I lived at the beach, yeah, and those are pretty, but here are the clouds and the right. colors, and it's just, I know. you know, from an artistic point of view, it's every day is more beautiful than the it one is. before. It is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so, Kristen, something we ask all of our guests: What are you reading now? 
So I am, well, I, I read and then I listen to audiobooks That's because all right. I do have a commute, <laughs> <laughs> which is good. And um, I get to listen to great things. And um, so I'm listening to um, Michelle Obama's book, oh, which so is me. good. Becoming. Becoming, yes. yes. <laughs> um, so that's been really yeah. uh, wonderful to listen to on my drive. But then I'm also reading a book called The Night Tiger by, and I'm sorry if I butcher this name, it's Yangtze Chu. Mm-hmm. Um, I read her book, The Ghost Bride, a few years ago, and I loved it so much that when I saw that she came out with a new book, I jumped on it. Um, it's just, uh, both of them are really fascinating look into sort of Chinese culture and Chinese mythology, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, is it fiction or? It's fiction. Yeah, okay. It's definitely fiction. Um, yeah, it's just a really interesting story, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, based on, um, you know, this, uh, actually it follows two different, uh, um, people okay. in the story, mm-hmm. just kind of younger people. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, it, uh, I haven't finished it yet. I'm like about, I don't know, halfway through and, mm-hmm. um, you can tell that they're going to meet at, meet up at some point, but it's, um, sort of based on the myth that, uh, you have people that can turn into tigers and, um, and then, you know, how, you know, uh, there was this situation where someone lost a finger, um, but they, one of the characters has to go in search of the f- missing finger because they have to be buried with it. And the mm. person had recently passed away. And so um, it's just really interesting. And yeah. the Ghost Bride was very similar in that it had a lot of this um, sort of, uh, like I said, you know, Chinese... Um, mythology Mm -hmm. around it and how you, um, you know, when you, uh, pass on, you know, your family has to, uh, give, present gifts or, or bury you with things or bury things for you so that you have them in the afterlife. Right. And it was this whole story of them being in the afterlife, but not because they died because they kind of went into a coma. And so, um, they had to go and travel through all these different places to try and figure out how to get back to the living because of a, a pact that was made with their families in the past. And I just love getting, um, insight into different cultures and their philosophies and mythologies and things like that. So that's why I really like this author (laughs) and, and, and really enjoying this, this other book. (laughs) They both sound really good. Yeah, they do. (laughs) Really, really interesting premise. Well, and it kind of fits in with this kind of recent trend in publishing recently about like looking at myths and legends um, and retelling them Mm -hmm. in interesting ways. And this is from a multicultural, I mean, we tend to think of the Western stuff, right? but this is an interesting window into something else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it just, it was something that, you know, I've been fascinated by and was very interested in and, you know, I, um, I tend to like fiction, Yeah. uh, usually fiction that's, um, historical fiction, right. things like that. I just read um, um, City of Angels, I believe. Oh, yeah. Elizabeth Gilbert. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, d- I just finished that, too. Oh, I love that book. Yeah, it was... 
That's another podcast yes. episode. <laughs> Historical fiction we could talk it, about. Yo, it was so good. Yeah. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for joining us yeah, today. Thank you. It was great having you. And we will we will post links to all the upcoming events and the books great. that you shared thank and you. the Mono Arts Council on our website for our listeners and absolutely and the books and the books and the june lake jam fest and all the cool things you've got going on (laughs) thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here oh thank you so much for having me it was a pleasure appreciate it you'll come back again and i'd love to awesome yeah you're good at this (laughs) (laughs) well listeners thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the oxygen starved podcast we hope you've enjoyed today's episode and that you will subscribe to our podcast, as well as take a minute to please give us a rating and a review so others can find us. Um, and also you can check us out on our website, oxygenstarvedpodcast.com and our Instagram, O2Starved. Leave us a comment on Instagram. Yeah, let us know what you're reading and if you've gone to any of the wine and art classes, <laughs> which ones are the you've good ones? You've got stories to tell. <laughs> exactly. Thanks so much, everybody, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. Incompetech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.